Greetings, this is a Travel Addict podcast where you can hear candid stories and discussions about business and travel from around the world. From the tame to the extreme, from the boring to the exciting, from the common to the rare, from the hometown to far off distant places. We've got it. Incidences abound with times of misinterpretation, foreign culture adjustments, and suspect judgment calls, all with good intentions, of course, with activities such as trekking, diving, camping, avoiding trouble, and other dodgy behaviors, there is always a story to tell. The places we talk about include the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque, and ones of questionable merit. For additional information, folks, go to the website malcolmjteasdale.com. Stay tuned, everyone. Greetings. Malcolm Teasdale here. This episode is about my trip to St. Petersburg, Russia. You can read about this in more detail in the book Planes, Trains, Taxes, and Tuk Tuks. Also, check out my website, Malcolm J. Teasdale. Uh, com, and you can read a little bit more detail there also. Enjoy this story. It was a wonderful trip for me. This was going to be my second ever visit to the country of Russia. The first time dates back quite a time ago. Uh, it was actually in 1990. I was there in December during the final days of the existence of the Soviet Union. I actually left the day before Mikhail Gorbachev uh, resigned or was uh, taken out of power or lost his presidency, so to speak. I was due for another visit, and that time happened. Now, as far as getting to Russia, it's not easy these days. Now, I was going to St. Petersburg this time. I mentioned the last time was to Moscow. Now, St. Petersburg is not the easiest place to travel to, not because of flight availability, but rather logistics of correctly planning the trip which will enable the visitor to legally enter Russia and ensuring that the accommodation of choice is strategically located to take advantage of the wealth of tourist activities that's there. Now, a visa is required to enter Russia for citizens of most countries in the world. It's a procedure to follow which is sort of complicated. I found a company in Atlanta, the Visa Supply Company, and one of the things that is required is an invitation to go to Russia. Now, technically... I wasn't being invited. However, the visa company arranged that. I don't know how they did it. I sent my passport to that company, completed the application form with two recent photographs. My photographs were ugly, but anyway, it didn't matter. I went to the local pharmacy to pick up passport photographs and uh, sent them on to this visa supply company. Two weeks later and $500 later, my new passport had arrived and inside was a visa stamp. I was all set to enter Russia, immigration officers permitting. I knew in the back of my mind that immigration officers do not have a great sense of humor, but in Russia, they tend to be a lot stricter. What compounded the apprehension was the fact that Great Britain and the USA were loggerheads with Russia at the time. Now, with regards to Great Britain, this would be caused of a couple of so-called spies or double agents were poisoned in England by a chemical agent that historically was only ever 
associated with the Russian government or military. That incident caused many countries in Europe, plus the USA, to expel Russian diplomats, basically get out of town on the next flight. In addition, the US imposed sanctions on Russia for other reasons. In retaliation for that, Russia did the same to those countries that took action against them. A tit-for-tat scenario. As I was going to St. Petersburg, there was now this added concern, albeit small, that the city's consulate was now closed as a result of this spat. Basically, that meant that if for some reason I encountered a serious problem during my visit, there was nowhere to go for support or protection. The U.S. government website that provides advice and details about international travel for its citizens displayed warnings. This came as no surprise to me because historically, in my opinion, they've had a tendency to exaggerate, contain outdated information and promote fear. I understand this to a certain extent because they want to be sure to cover their backside, so to speak, and express a statement of, I told you so, to anyone who disregards warnings and encounters trouble. There were two statements in bold characters on their website, reconsider travel and beware of terrorism and harassment. My theory about these warnings were that because I was visiting St. Petersburg, which is influenced by Western Europe substantially, as well as Moscow, the fact that the World Cup was starting in less than a month, it should be safe regardless of the warnings. The Russians would be determined on making sure the world's largest sporting event would be a great success and problem-free. I made the decision to go, and to be honest, I've been in place with more risk and uncertainty than a two-day trip to St. Pete. To name a few, Cairo in Egypt during the first Gulf crisis, Moscow, which I mentioned before, joined the Soviet Union breakup. Medellin, Colombia, joined the prominence of the drug laws. And Buenos Aires, Argentina, joined the economic collapse. I even installed one of my company's products in a prison in Lima, Peru. That wasn't fun. Having been told a few times in recent years that Russian immigration hasn't been a pleasant experience by comments such as, just answer questions without elaborating, don't try and be funny, and don't try and start a conversation and act too friendly. Well, I approached the officer, forced a slight smile, and had it over my passport. It took a while as he shuffled around stuff in his booth, as if he was trying to find a reason not to let me in. The thought of him asking who invited me to the country was in the back of my mind, and as I was waiting patiently for a minute or two, he handed back my passport and waved the next person in line to approach. I was officially in Russia. Baggage claim was easy, and I passed through customs without a hitch. Now, remembering my visit to Moscow, the first thing that struck me was the language barrier. Back then, when I asked someone about finding a taxi, I was not understood, which is amazing in itself, as I was at an airport. However, at that time, I also remember asking someone where I could find a beer, and the person understood that. This proves my point that the most globally accepted word in the English language is beer. Fortunately, this time was clearly marked a taxi desk in the arrivals hall, where I could pay for a ride in advance once I showed my hotel reservation confirmation. I made sure I selected a good hotel in a strategic location that would enable me to walk around and see the great sights of the city. The main street in St. Petersburg is Nevsky Prospect. The Nevsky part of the name comes from a famous Russian military leader who helped defeat the invasion attempts by Germany and Sweden in times of conflict. Before leaving home, 
I read about the city's history, and I was just shocked to see how much turmoil it had endured. In 1941, during the German occupation for about 872 days, over 1 million people died, mostly from starvation. It's a disturbing number, of course, but the more I read about the historic events regarding countries and cities in the world, in preparation for my speaking engagement, the more I realized that although we enjoy and experience horrible events today, it is almost tame compared to what happened several decades and centuries ago. There was no discussion en route to the hotel with my taxi driver as he spoke no word of English. We shared the blame as I spoke no word of Russian, of course. The subject of language, there are three other countries in the world that use Russia or Russian as their official language, which is Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Belarus. There are several more that use the same alphabet as Russia, which is a Cyrillic script. It's basically unreadable to us Westerners. In addition to the countries listed above, Mongolia, Montenegro, Bulgaria, Bosnia, and Herzegovina, Macedonia, Serbia, uh, Tajikistan, and Ukraine all use the same characters or script. Eventually, my taxi pulled up outside the Corinthia Hotel, and within seconds, the doorman came out to take in my bags and escort me to the reception. I could not check in until 2 p.m., so since it was only 11 a.m., I had to uh, waste a few hours. Actually, my intention was to be productive for the rest of the day. I stored my luggage, obtained a map from the hotel concierge, and highlighted the must-see places. Been a lot of walking, but it was a small price to pay. I wore a t-shirt and some shorts because the weather was sunny and warm without being too humid. About half a mile down Nevsky Prospect from the hotel, I arrived at Kazan Cathedral. Modelled after St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, it's affiliated with the Russian Orthodox religion. The exterior is dramatic, but when I entered, I was taken aback by the magnificence of the place. I remember saying quietly, oh my God. The atmosphere was enhanced by the beautiful voices of the choir. Some people were lining up to be blessed by the priest, while others, just like me, stared in awe at the ceiling and unique artwork. I finally dragged myself out there after about 30 minutes, based on the fact I had lots more walking to do and sights to see. Someone once said that St. Petersburg is a mix of Venice and Versailles, based on the fact that rivers and canals run through the city. Riverboat cruises are in abundance, but I had no time to take one. Plus the fact, I'm my own best guide and do not like anything organised. Before leaving home, I googled British pubs in St. Petersburg, and to my surprise, there are many of them. Starbucks also has many locations in the city. I even stopped at one for a coffee a few minutes after leaving Kazan Cathedral. The menu was written in Russian only, and being cognizant of the language barrier, I just said coffee and indicated a small... Uh, with my hands. I could only smile when the cashier said, is that all for you today? <laughs> I reached the Nivar River, which dissects the city, much like the Thames does in London. As I started to uh, cross the bridge, I noticed a gathering of people with a couple of cannons and other military equipment on display. It was a movie set, and by the looks of it, one about World War II. I did not see any familiar faces, and it sounded like people were speaking Russian, so I assumed the movie or TV program may have just been for local consumption. I can see my next destination in the distance. Peter and Paul's Fortress, the city's first citadel that was built on orders by Peter the Great. The Peter and Paul names of the fortress come from the saints. 
not the great man himself, Peter the Great. Gold on both the exterior and interior makes this a huge tourist commodity in the city, even though its iconic structure has a dark side in history. It was used as an execution ground and prison by the Bolshevik government after they took over the city in 1917 to quell the uprising brought on by the nearby German threat. Many tombs of Russian Tsars are also located there. Finding my way into the grounds of the fortress was a little challenging because of my inability to understand signposts. Following a small tourist group solved that problem until I decided to leave and couldn't find an exit. So out through the indoor, I eventually went after walking around aimlessly for quite some time. Now, outside the fortress was a helicopter landing platform. It was another tourist attraction that was available to take people on an aerial view of the city, which I assume must be excellent. Now, Russia actually invented the helicopter, as they did the radio, the tape recorder, and television, plus many other items we take for granted today. Probably people don't realize that. To reach one of the other main buildings of the city, or the bridges of the city, I walked on a beach alongside the Neva River. Although it was man-made with patches of sand, pebble stones and rocks, many people were sunbathing, and only a few dipping their toes into the murky waters. Laying on pebbles next to a dark, cloudy river is not appealing to me, even when it's the closest feeling of being on a beach. I arrived at the Church of the Saviour on Spilled Blood, a complex-looking structure from the outside that took 24 years to build. It was dedicated to Alexander II. It's a combination of Baroque and neoclassic architecture. The building is actually a gem. It boasts 7,500 square meters of mosaics, which seems like a ridiculous and impossible amount when you are standing outside. However, once inside, you cannot help but be amazed by the scale of it all. Intricate mosaics from the floor stretching up to the top of the very high ceiling. No wonder it took so long to build. The church was full of tourists, which was no surprise as it is one of the major attractions in St. Petersburg. About half a mile away is Palace Square, a place of major historical events. The first time in my life, I tried to take a few selfies with the great monument in the background. The pictures were just terrible, so I asked another tourist to take one of me. That wasn't much better. It was one of those times in which a photograph would not do the place justice, at least for amateur photographers like myself. This is mainly because you can only squeeze into a photo a fraction of what you actually see in reality. Other examples of this I've experienced are the Grand Canyon, Himalayan Mountains, Victoria Falls, and the Great Wall of China. This area, Palace Square, was a focus of the 1905 Bloody Sunday Massacre, where peaceful protesters wanted to hand a petition to the government about the current conflict with Japan. Almost 13 years later, it was a centre of the October Revolution, led by Lenin and the Bolsheviks. St. Petersburg was Russia's capital up until that point before being moved to Moscow. I came across a small market area close to the river. I purchased a couple of souvenirs and nearly purchased a t-shirt to give to my neighbour back home. It had a picture of Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump on the front with a phrase underneath saying, make Russia great again. It was my first taste of St. Petersburg humour. I even engaged in a clumsy conversation with 
the stores over it in spite of the language barrier, however, avoiding the subject of politics. The walking continued, specifically down Nevsky Prospect, and the side streets where there were plenty of stores, cafes, office buildings, and the occasional market. By the end of the day, I had walked about seven miles. At no time did I feel uncomfortable in the surroundings. I saw no unkempt areas, and the streets were spotlessly clean. Nobody I saw was dressed inappropriately or scruffy, and in fact I noticed how well-groomed everyone was. I did not speak to many people, but when I did, there was no hostility or unfriendliness. So much for the U.S. government website warnings. One thing I did notice, though, is that the women are very attractive. I seem to remember that being the case when I was in Moscow, even though it was over 26 years ago. Without sounding chauvinistic, or patronizing anyway, my choice for the top three countries with the most attractive females are actually Russia, Colombia, and Thailand, in no particular order. If I had to add a fourth, probably would, would, would be Latvia. By the time I returned to the hotel, it was 6 p.m. I checked into my top floor room, which was spacious and spotlessly clean. View from my window was Nevsky Prospect Street. I found the hotel on Trivago, TripAdvisor, where it received good reviews and also posted a map to show its location. For what I was aiming to do for my short time in the city, it was a perfect choice. Opera, ballet, classical music are all popular, and the cities have various theatres that showcase them nightly. The Marinsky is the most famous, but the night I was there, it wasn't showing anything of interest. In fact, because it was a Sunday night, it was quiet for stage shows all around town. That didn't matter too much to me, as I just wanted to walk the streets and stop in a bar or a restaurant when I felt like it. Basically, I had no plan at all, which sometime is the best plan. There was a large cylindrical billboard close to the hotel advertising an upcoming concert. Ozzy Osbourne was going to be in town a week after I left. Russians like rock music from Britain and the USA, and many of today's leading musicians include Moscow and St. Petersburg as part of the European tours. Walking around the area close by the hotel, I saw plenty of outdoor restaurants, most of them busy, likely because the locals were trying to make the most of the decent weather while it lasted. I found a bar which was downstairs from the street level. It was named Beer plus something in Russian. It's a good job they didn't change the word beer into the local language, although saying that, I probably would have learned that translated version by that time anyway. I asked for one of the local beers. The barman pointed the one that was unpronounceable. I gave him a thumbs up and he poured the drink out. I sat at a table adjacent to a mannequin of John Lennon. At least I knew someone in the room. After all of the walking I had done during the night, I had forgotten about food. My stomach had forgotten to remind me that I needed some sustenance. Further down the street, I saw an outdoor restaurant upstairs named Beer Family. There was no Russian translation, strangely enough. I sat at a nice location and watched the street activity below. It was time for food, so I ordered a beef stroganoff, as it was about the only item on the menu that I recognized and is actually a Russian dish. I cannot imagine the food anywhere in the city being too strange compared to the likes of some places I have been to in Asia. It was pretty good, although I cannot compare it to anything else to know whether it was good or bad quality. I stayed at the restaurant quite some time after I'd finished my food, so I could relax after a long day of walking. 
but more importantly, to enjoy the view of a very small part of the city. My hotel was only about 200 yards away, and when I returned to the hotel, I decided to stop in the lobby lounge for a nightcap. I sat at the bar and just read emails on my iPhone and took time to reflect on the day. After about 10 minutes, someone said, hello. Standing next to me were two Russian ladies, probably, I think, in their 40s. I did the polite thing and engaged in conversation. They spoke fairly good English and asked me a few basic questions, usual ones such as, where are you from and how long are you here for? Like every major city in the world, St. Petersburg has prostitutes. For only $600, they would provide me with a massage and whatever else my heart desired. That was for both of them. And I was thinking about asking the question, what would it be for just one of you? But that would have shown an iota of interest. Well, after a few minutes of chit-chat, taking the final chug of my beer, I had to close the conversation down by saying it was time for me to sleep. They had the last word by saying, we can help you with that. <laughs> After a small wave of the hand in acknowledgement, I was in the elevator on my way to the room. The bed in the hotel room was probably one of the most comfortable I have ever slept in, aside from being at home. I woke up in the morning, and it was a struggle to get myself in gear, but my thirst for seeing as much as I could in the city took over. First, I needed breakfast, so rather than eat in the hotel, I decided to walk up the street to see what I could find. One restaurant had a sign with the word breakfast on it. That was good enough. The menu was poor, but they did have something that included a couple of eggs. It was difficult to ascertain what else was on the plate, with the exception of the bread. So much for the $3 breakfast, I did manage to enjoy a cup of tea or two, though. My intention was to have another day of walking to see a few more tourist sites. Now, this meant an early start. I checked out stored my luggage at the hotel and booked a taxi for later that day. I walked about two miles to Hermitage Museum, a huge building on the, the Never River that also houses the Hermitage Theatre. For some reason, it was closed Monday. There was even a small tour group trying to find the door that was open. I think the company that organised that tour should have known about open and closed times, to be honest with you. I was just a plain old dumb tourist who didn't know any better. Fortunately, there are plenty of other sites to see. I walked to St. Isaac's Cathedral, the largest Orthodox cathedral in the city. The artwork inside is staggering. Visitors can climb to the top of the dome. I did not because I had enough walking to do besides climbing stairs. Under Soviet rule, it became a museum for religion and atheism, but reverted to regular worship hours after the fall of communism. Not far away is Yusupov Palace, which it was actually designed and built by a French architect. This grand palace is chock full of exquisite decor and even has a theatre. It's still occasionally used for conferences when heads of foreign states come to town, but it was also a location of Rasputin's murder. A commoner who acted as a holy man and spiritual advisor to the Tsars, but in the eyes of some noblemen, he became too influential, so they shot him to death. I guess they could get away with that stuff back in those days. There are just too many great sights to see in St. Petersburg in two days, and even if I could have gained an extra couple of hours by taking taxes and not walking, it would still not have been enough time. On the negative side, 
walking 40 miles in two days was a bit tiring since my body was not used to a lot of exercise. However, that slight ailment was put to rest as I found a Russian massage parlor close by my hotel. It was spotlessly clean with spacious rooms. The massage therapist was also very professional. Now, feeling refreshed, I returned to the hotel, picked up my luggage and waited for my taxi to arrive. The only blemish was the taxi driver charged more than what the hotel had quoted, but to argue that point would have been futile, so I just paid what his meter indicated. Immigration was the next step. I remember when I was departing Moscow in uh, late December, the man in front of me was leaving a day or two after his visa had expired. He was marched off to some holding facility for an interview. Now, Moscow was very edgy at that time because of the end of communism, so anything or anybody straying from the normal behaviour was subject to scrutiny. Mikhail Gorbachev's reign as leader came to an end the day after I left. Well, back to the current time, I approached the immigration officer and handed over my passport. Apart from being the most attractive immigration agent I've ever seen, she also smiled a little. At the duty-free shops, I tried to ditch my remaining rubles, and fortunately, they did not have anything worth buying. I bought a couple of souvenirs, but ended up spending my loose change on Russian chocolate bars. I ended up with a 100-ruble note, which would later be glued in my scrapbook. That brought an end to my trip to St. Petersburg, Russia. For me, it ranks as one of the greatest cities in the world, along with London, Bangkok, Sydney, and Hong Kong. Goodbye, St. Petersburg. Would I love to go back there one day? Absolutely. Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, malcolmjteasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe. Thank you.